Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Right, and I'm going to welcome Simon, who's starting our new series. <laughs> a woo from this side of the room, That's as far as it went. Apologies, I'm a bit croaky. I didn't get to bed till four this morning. That wasn't anything to do with the football. It was because I was up in the lakes climbing this chappy. Uh, that's Helvellyn, so that's right in the Lake District. So that's Striding Edge. You go along and up, and it was, it was, it was my middle son, Stagdu. There he is. Yay. So he's getting married uh, beginning of August. So 12 of us went up to, her, to, the, to the lakes and, uh, and climbed uh, and got down and then drove back. It's a long way, but uh, we had a fantastic time. Meanwhile, Keely was out on a hen do and somehow managed to get herself into the Daily Mail <laughs> with this picture. England fans gather along the canal side in Birmingham ahead of the national team's quarter team final. Can you see her? There she is. Oh, wait, well, so where's Heather? So that's Jake's fiance there. Okay. So what did they say to you? How did they get that picture? Yeah, that's, that's it. it. works in the press. They take a picture and then put any caption they want against it. So, so there she is, um, having a great time. So we had a lovely time, and uh, we're back in the south, which is very flat in comparison, have you noticed? You probably haven't if you've lived here all your life. Um, anyway, we're moving on to our new series today, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, we're going to look to see how we can grow over the next four weeks in emotional health, and also look to put in place maybe some habits that are going to help us to grow emotionally uh, and spiritually. We're leaning heavily on a book, a fantastic book by uh, Peter Scazzaro. There's the book there. If you, if you like to read, I suggest you grab that book and, and read it for yourselves. Uh, Peter's pastor in New York, uh, planted a church there, pastored for many years, dedicated to, to, to church growth, to uh, spiritual growth. But he found over time that he neglected his emotional growth, his emotional health, and and in reality, his life was a mess, his marriage was a mess, his church was being affected by all the stuff that was in play. Uh, and he, he writes a very uh, open um, account of his own journey to try and put in place uh, emotional health. So it's a really good read, and we'll be looking at that as we, as we go along. Uh, can you read the front bit there, what it says on the front cover? It says, it's impossible to be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally immature. And that's the premise of what he found out in his own life. He found that he couldn't go past uh, spiritually where his emotions had kind of got stuck or he hadn't paid attention uh, to them. So that's, uh, that's going to be some of our source material as we go along. Why the iceberg? Well, for many of us, our spirituality can be sort of a tip of the iceberg thing. It can, for many of us, spirituality only touches certain parts of us. Uh, an iceberg, about 10% is a bit that's visible above the surface, about 90% below uh, and particularly in the West, sometimes we only allow spirituality in so far. It only impacts a certain degree of who we are. So even though we, you know, we come to church and we, um, we do spiritual courses and we do spiritual habits, sometimes that doesn't really get beneath the surface into who we are as people. And so I hope for this course that we're going to go a bit deeper and try and see if we can get those deep layers that are in all of us. If we were to hold our hand up, we'd say there's parts of us we feel... You know, God still needs to touch. God still needs to go deeper into. For a lot of people, when they come to Christ, they become nicer people. They start, you know, being a bit nicer. 
having some nicer habits, being a bit more generous, a bit more altruistic. But often, that's where it stops. It doesn't penetrate down into the person identity of who they are. So you might clean your life a bit, you might drop some bad habits, you might start picking up some good ones. But how deep do we allow Christ to go into our lives? And for many of us, the, the deep roots of who we are largely remain unaffected by Jesus because we don't like the thought of him going deeper into those layers. And so the issue we face is that Christian spirituality without emotional health can be quite destructive. It can be quite damaging because the emotions are still there. The, the layers are still there and they affect who we are. Our thinking in the West has largely been influenced by Greek philosophy over, over many, many hundreds of years. Uh, and there's a contrast to the way uh, Hebraic thinking is in, in your Bible. So when you read your Bible, you tend to th- read it with a Greek mindset. But it wasn't written in that way. It wasn't written uh, through that lens. So a Greek or Western approach is to think of your life as being segmented or, or categorized in different ways. A bit like, uh, a bit like this grapefruit. So... Greek thinking would say we compartmentalise our thinking, compartmentalise our lives into different things like our social, our physical, intellectual, spiritual elements and segments. That's the way a Greek mindset tends to think, a Western mindset tends to think. And the issue with that is when you come to Christ, you think, well, I'm just going to slot Jesus into another segment. I'm just going to pop him into another segment in my life. He's going to sit there alongside other segments. And that's the way we view it. And for many of us, we don't naturally think this way consciously because we're, we're immersed in culture. We're immersed in Western... Just the same way a fish is immersed in the ocean, it doesn't think about the, the elements it's swimming in. We're immersed in Western culture. So this is the way Western culture tends to think. It tends to think in... Sex. But a Jew in Jesus' time, you wouldn't have thought this way at all. You would have thought in a much more, a different way. You would have thought much more like a smoothie. Everything is blended uh, in Hebraic thinking. Everything's blended and mixed together. Everything's in the swirl. So... Um, you know, you wouldn't have thought about different parts. You wouldn't have thought your job was any different from your spirituality or spirituality any different from your sex life or your sex life any different from your social life. It was all blended together and thought about holistically. And this means that when Jews encountered Jesus in the early church, Jesus didn't drop into a segment of their lives. He actually went into the mix. It'd be a bit like adding blueberries to this smoothie and suddenly the whole thing goes blue. Because by the time you've whizzed it up, the blueberries are all through the smoothie. And that's the same impact that Jesus would have had on the life of an early Jew. Jesus would have gone through the whole mix. He wouldn't have just come and sat in a segment or an annex of their lives. He'd have impacted their their social life, their work life, their spiritual life, their family life, their relationships. He would have gone through the whole mix. But we're very good in the West at dropping Jesus into a part of our lives or a segment of our lives. And we have this segmented mentality. So we limit Jesus' access to different parts of our life, particularly the parts that we're maybe not more comfortable with. So maybe we have a fantastic personal life for Jesus, but Jesus never impacts our work life because that's our work life, that's segmented. We don't want Jesus getting into there and messing things up. So we keep Jesus in this part of our lives. Or maybe we've never really brought Jesus into our wider family life. You know, no one really knows we're a Christian enough. I mean, they've kind of suspected we are, but they don't really know because we've kept Jesus segmented. And so it's a very different Greek-influenced way of thinking that we tend to have in the West, and that does affect our ability to grow spiritually. We don't allow Jesus to come all through the mix. The word that's translated save or salvation in your New Testament is sozo. You might have heard the sozo course that's been talked about a lot. Uh, But the word there in the Greek, it's uh, 118 times it's in your New Testament. It's translated save 
or salvation. And it's used, it's a composite word, it means to make completely whole. So when Jesus meets us, his heart is to make us completely whole, to bring all the parts back together again. When Jesus said in Matthew 18, 11, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost, the word there is sozo, and it means Jesus wants to come and reintegrate us and pull us together and make us whole completely. And so he's looking to not only reconnect us and reintegrate us with our Father in heaven, he's looking to also reintegrate us and reconnect us with ourselves. So we've become holistically bound together in him. All the parts that may be fragmenting our lives are pulled back together again in the person of Jesus. And that doesn't happen all at once. You know, you don't meet Jesus and suddenly bang, you're made whole. It's a process, it's a journey. For Jesus said, follow me, journey with me. And in that journey, we'll become whole. And Jesus spoke many times in different stories about how there's this, this thing that's introduced into our life that begins to infuse the whole piece. So he spoke about a little piece of yeast, a tiny piece of yeast being introduced into 60 pounds of dough. That's a lot of bread, isn't it? So this bit of yeast gets put into the dough and works for the whole batch. And it's a symbol of Jesus' desire to get into your life and work through the whole batch, all parts of your life. Or he spoke of a mustard seed being the smallest seed in the garden that's planted and grows to become the largest tree and to give shelter to many creatures. And again, it's this symbolism of this small bit being put into you that grows potentially and exponentially through all parts of who you are. And so Jesus begins the process. He comes and he knocks at the door of our hearts. And he says, will you let me in? Will you let me in? He says, if you let me in, I'll come, and, I'll come and dine with you. I'll come and make my home. In fact, not only will I come in, but the Father and I will come in. We'll all come in and we'll all set up home together. And so we start by opening the door of our hearts and we invite Jesus in. We've all done that in different ways or maybe we're in that process of thinking about doing that. And we invite him in and he comes in, the Father comes and the Holy Spirit comes and we've got this, this house, this, this communion taking place. But the problem is Jesus doesn't want to stay in the dining room. He starts getting up and wandering around. He starts wandering around, he's in the kitchen, he's out in the shed, he's in the garden, he's upstairs in the bathroom. He wants to wander through the whole of your spiritual house. And we get uncomfortable because we haven't tidied the bedroom and we haven't made the spare room up yet. And he's wandering around and he's looking in all the dark and dirty places and the messy places and all the junk, he's opening cupboards and things are falling out. And he's in there looking to be in every part of our spiritual house. He's wandering around because he wants to make home with us and he wants to make us whole. And he's wandering around our spiritual house. And he's looking to get rid of the junk. He's looking to remodel. He's looking to redecorate. He's looking to make a house that reflects the Father's glory. And he's not, he's not content just to sit at the table. He wants to get into every part of our house. Get beneath those layers that we saw in that iceberg. And he does this because he wants us to live life to the full, it says in John 10.10. 10. He wants us to have a full life and a whole life, and a holistic life. And the only way we can get there is we allow him into all these different parts and places. If we try and lock Jesus down into one space of our lives, then we are heading for trouble, because he, well, first of all, he can't be contained. You know, it says in in Colossians that he's in everything and through everything, and it upholds everything, so you can't put him in a segment. There's no segment in your life big enough for Jesus, trust me. It doesn't matter how big you've made it, it's it's not big enough for him. He spoke about new wineskins, didn't he? I, I can't be poured into old wineskins, I'll burst them. I must have new wineskins. So he's looking to fill your life through every part. 
But if we convince ourselves we can lock him down and we can segment him, then it only means one thing. We have issues like this. Give me some volume. Ha <laughs> Any excuse for a T-Rex? All our emotions, they come bursting out at inappropriate times, don't they? Who's had the T-Rex out lately? Oh, yes, you have. No matter how strong we build the containment, you know, we can think we can keep all our stuff down or our emotional problems down or our issues down. They will come out. They will begin to bubble out and affect us. They will come out after inappropriate times they'll burst out. And they will create havoc for ourselves and for the people that we're in contact with. They've got a habit of escaping at all the inopportune times. As Dr. Malcolm says in Jurassic Park, you know, life finds a way. Your emotions will find a way out uh, if we don't pay attention to them, if we don't look at some of the stuff. And the truth, as we get older, particularly, if we don't pay attention to our emotional health, then we get more bent out of shape because and all the animals come out to play. And we've said before that sometimes we become bottlers or spewers, don't we? We just push it all down, push it all down, push it all down, suddenly bang, out it comes. Um, I think John Cleese said, you know, his emotional breakdown was triggered by a fly walking up the wall the wrong way. <laughs> that was the final straw that broke the camel's back because he'd pushed all this emotion down and that was it, bang, and he was, he was in meltdown. Or spewers, we just give everybody anyway, we just, we just, we just spew it out, it just comes out of us and we, it affects the people around us. If you missed those talks, you can look back at our, our Proverbs series that was last May. So we haven't, if we haven't developed emotional understanding of who we are, then we are heading for trouble. And it does affect the people around us as well if we don't grow spiritually. So back to our iceberg. Emotional underdevelopment is not always obvious when you meet somebody. You, you know, say, oh, well, I can see straight away you're emotionally underdeveloped. But if you hang around someone long enough, the, some of the traits they may exhibit may point to these things that need uh, resolving or health or, or healing. Um, and the truth, as we said, we can't mature spiritually unless we mature emotionally. The Trappist monk, Thomas Merton, said this. He said, when we, do, when we try and do this, we merely deaden our humanity instead of setting it free to develop richly in all its capacities under the influence of grace. So Jesus is interested in all of us. He's interested in every part of us. And our emotions are an important part of who we are. So today, we're going to begin this series by looking at some of the possible symptoms that you and I might possess if we have we've got some degree of emotional unhealth in our lives. As we go through this, don't go, oh, no, I've got that. Oh, no, I've got that. Oh, no, I've got that. And go out feeling really guilty. This is just to help us understand some of the things that we might not realise that we're doing or conscious of in these deeper layers. Remember, Jesus wants to get into every room of your house because he loves you and wants to transform you and allow you to have life to the full. And there might be locked rooms in your spiritual house this morning that Jesus is really keen to get into really keen to get in there and begin to heal and transform. And so let's, um, let's, let's begin the process of letting him in. I'm just going to pray briefly. Lord, we thank you for your presence, and we thank you your desire is to give us life to the full. So Lord, I pray in the next four weeks you would help us to journey with you together and invite you deeper into our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so one of the first symptoms you might exhibit is using God to run from God. And this is when we use Christian activities as a way to basically deflect the spotlight from us. So 
we create a lot of God activity in our lives. We do a lot of God-shaped stuff. We do a lot of religious activity. We might do all things that a Christian looks like they should do. But these behaviours are simply, we're trying to deflect God's attention from who we are to deeper level. We're just trying to effectively conform in the hope that Jesus will take his eyes off us and go and look at somebody else. The problem with this is that we, we, we can, we're deflecting what God's heart is for us, really. We, we hide behind God talk, or we hide behind Christian behaviours, and we say the right things at the right time. But we're missing the opportunity for God to go deeper into who we are. And we might even apply biblical truth selectively to other people, but not to ourselves. You know, we might be very good at quoting scriptures at people or saying, you shouldn't be doing that, or you should be doing this. But we're not very good at allowing that word to penetrate our own hearts and to bring about significant life change. And the problem with church, it can vaccinate you against God. Now, a vaccine is a little bit of a virus they put into you to get your body's uh, immune system to, to generate antibodies. So when the real thing comes along, your body goes, ha-ha, I'm prepared, and repel borders. If you've been around church a long time, you can become vaccinated against God. You've heard God talked about an awful lot, you've heard a lot of sermons, you've sung a lot of songs, but really, what's God doing in your life right now? And what's he saying to you right now? A great question you can ask yourself is, when's the last time you felt prompted by God to make a significant life change? If that was a long time ago, (laughs) then then you might be inoculated against moves of God. When's the last time you felt prompted by God to make a significant life change? When did the Holy Spirit really get beneath the surface and say to you, this is something we need to do, this is something we need to change? That's a really great question to ask yourself as we think about this particular symptom. So when do you feel that conviction by the Holy Spirit to act and do something significant in your life? If that's been a while, then you might be sort of semi-inoculated against what God is trying to do in your life. So that's the first symptom. <clears throat> Ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. A lot of Christians struggle to recognise that these emotions are actually valid and real. They're taught that Jesus never had these emotions, therefore we should never have them. So therefore, if we do get angry or fearful or sad, we should just push these things down, push them away, and put on a brave face and ignore them. But the reality is they still influence us, they still affect us, they come bubbling up from beneath the surface. Uh, You might have been taught that your feelings are unreliable, that you can't trust them. And you may have met people who are completely led all over the place by their feelings, and we're not suggesting that's the right course of action, but your feelings are there to indicate what's going on at a deeper level in who you are. So lots of followers of Jesus don't feel the permission to express sadness or fear or even anger. You know, anger was dealt with at the cross. No one should be angry anymore. I've heard that spoken. I don't think that's true. Jesus was fully human and expressed the whole range of emotions. And so to the degree we're able to express our emotions can, can give us an idea of how in touch we are with our sort of deeper selves. We need to keep an eye on that emotional gauge to recognise that if we're feeling these things, what's going on? Why are we feeling them? Let's go beneath the surface and look at those deeper layers. If we don't acknowledge them, they will impact us and they will impact our wider relationships. They'll come out like the T-Rex at all the wrong times, in the wrong places. We'll find ourselves projecting our stuff onto people who don't have a clue why suddenly they're getting both barrels when they said hello to you. And, you know, but you, you start to project this stuff onto people, people push buttons in you, and suddenly all this stuff comes out to play. So the last time you had a feeling of, of anger or sadness or fear, what did you try and do with it? Did you try and contain it? 
Did you try and ignore it? Did you try and fix it? Or maybe you chose to project it onto somebody else because that's the way it felt better to deal with it. So over this series, we're going to look at how we, how we deal with these emotions in a healthy way. So have a think about that one as we go through this morning. The next symptom could be denying the past impact on the present. When you come to faith in Jesus, no matter what age you are, whether you're young, teenager, or adult, you get born again, the scriptures tell us, don't they? You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. But your past doesn't get wiped away. No one sort of does a mind wipe on you. It all comes with you. All the stuff that you've lived and experienced comes with you into your new life with Christ. We said God's in the process of changing you and transforming you, moving in with you and, and remodeling. But that takes time. It, it means that our past lives still affect our present lives. They still influence who we are as people. And often as Christians, we just try to ignore that. We just try to ignore the past. We just think that's the... You know, I don't want to think about the past. I don't want to think about my family life or what things happened back then or the way we lived or the things we didn't do or how dysfunctional we were. I want to just draw a line over all that and forget about it. But in reality, if we don't go deep and help invite God in to deal with that stuff, then it will affect who we are. You know, a lot of your family traits will have come straight through into your current situation with you maybe not even realising it. The way you handle conflict, the way you deal with anger the way you relate to people. It's all hugely shaped by your upbringing, your background, and your, your family values. So have a think about your own life for a second. Is there one thing in your life that you saw your parents do, you think, oh, you've heard, I'll never do that? Yeah? I'll never do that. And how many of you find yourself doing it? Because... Vows aren't strong enough to change things. It needs Jesus to come in and transform things. And so, even though we see behaviour sometimes, we think, no way will I repeat that. No way will I do it that way. We need Jesus to change us and transform us. That can only happen at a deeper level. In Matthew 12, Jesus was um, in a crowd, and uh, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. And someone came in and said, you know, your mum and brothers are outside, want to speak to you. And Jesus said... Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he points to his disciples and says, Here's my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. And was Jesus disrespecting his family? I don't think he was doing that. I think he was pointing to the creation of a new family. He was saying whoever comes into God's family is united in a different way. And our our earthly families are really important. Jesus was very big on honouring our parents and, and looking after our kids well. But he said, actually, there's a new set of family values being created here in me and through me. And so it doesn't matter how great your family values were or how dysfunctional they were, Jesus is looking to establish his family line in you. And that can only happen as we allow him to go deeper. So maybe think about that this week. Dividing our lives into secular and sacred components, coming back to our Greek compartmentalised thinking, so we come to church, we sing all about God's love, and we take communion, and on the way home, someone cuts us up and we want them to die. I think I'm the only sinful one in the building this morning. You know, we think Sunday's for God, Monday to Friday's for work, Saturday's playtime, Sunday's for God, where we go. We compartmentalize our lives, and we, we chop them up into these different 
parts. We have our Christian activities over here, and our personal activities over here, and our work activities over here. And we have this compartmentalization taking place. And we don't, we ignore the fact that God wants to get into every part of our lives. He wants to transform our relationships, transform our marriages, transform our workplace, transform our place of education. He wants to be in every part, like the smoothie, blending all the way through. But we go back to the actually, I'm going I'm to just chop my life into discrete parts that I've got some demarcation of. It's easy that way to, to kind of hold this thing together. So we don't allow God into the way we parent our kids. We don't allow God into the way we spend our money. We don't allow God into the way we use our time. We just divide our life into segments that we can manage. And that can be a real symptom of emotional unhealth and spiritual, a need for spiritual maturity. Because Jesus wants to get into every part. He wants to be blended through the whole piece. According to polls by Gallup, evangelical Christians are now as likely to embrace every part of a hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered lifestyle as their worldly counterparts. There is nothing at the moment that distinguishes Christians from ordinary people because they've all embraced the same lifestyle. Uh, Ron Sider in his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscious, says this, whether the issue is marriage and sexuality or money and care for the poor, evangelicals today are living scandalously unbiblical lives. The data suggests that in many crucial areas, evangelicals are not living any differently from their unbelieving neighbours. So there's no distinction anymore because as Christians we've just embraced the same lifestyles and we're happy to keep Jesus in his section and his box but we just want to embrace it all the bits as well. When Satan tempted Jesus, he took him to a high place, didn't he? And he said, all the kingdoms of the world I'll give to you. All this you can have, it's mine. You can have a lot if you bear down and worship me. All he wanted was worship. He'd give all the material stuff away. And the world offers as much that's seductive and appealing and attractive. And it's lovely to think we can have a Christian life and have all the toys as well. We've got both, haven't we? We've got, we've got the whole package. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And what he's looking to do is to be blended through all of our lives and impact every part of our lives in our decision-making process. And the truth is, happiness and true joy isn't found in materialism or hedonism or any of these things. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we allow him into all our layers, into every part of our life, we find true purpose and true identity and true joy. And you can't find that simply by imitating a broken world. That's not where the joy lies. The joy lies in going deeper with Jesus. So have a think. Have you, have you divided your life into, into sections? And God wants to come and break down all those pieces and be across every part of your life. Next symptom, doing for God instead of being with God. Being productive and getting things done, they're highly valued in the West, aren't we? We like to be achievers, we like to be busy. It's the best answer we can give when people ask how we are, we're busy. That means we're doing well because we're busy. Um, you know, being busy and being spiritual are now seen as synonymous. If you're a Christian who's not busy, you're clearly, something's wrong with you. You should be busy, there's lots of work to be done in the kingdom, we should all be busy, 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 surely. But if your doing with God overtakes your being with God, then you're going to have a problem. You're going you're to cease to be someone who's being replenished internally, and you're going to start to do stuff out of a wrong heart. You're going to start to um, despise the, the things that God asks you to do. You're going to start to um, just, the whole thing's going to take on a different flavor, a different taint. Our activity for God can't come from any other place than an overflow of his love. 
If it comes from any other place than that, then it's going to come from a wrong source. So as we spend time with God and allow him deep into us, then from the overflow, the streams of living water that Jesus mentioned, that's when we can do Christian activity from the right place and the right heart. We don't want to become human doings, do we? We want to be human beings. You know, we want to be the people who are in God, not just do for God. And so, but sometimes it's easier to do stuff than allow God into us because, you know, ticking off task lists and achieving things gives us a sense of achievement and satisfaction and meaning. But God says, actually, no, will you stop and allow me to go deeper into you because that's where I want to be. That's more important to me. Be still and know that I am God. is more important than you just getting through your task list and achieving stuff for me. You know, when the gardener comes, he prunes us, doesn't he? He cuts us back so we'll bear much fruit. Unpruned vines produce a load of leaf, loads of leaves. And wow, look at that leafy vine. No fruit. But pruned vines, you look at them, they're brutally cut back, but then they produce huge amounts of fruit. And so if we allow the Father in, we become fruitful. We can all look very leafy, but actually the Father's interested in fruit, not leaf, isn't he? He's introduced in fruitful lives. And so, you know, don't just be a person who does for God, thinking that's the right thing that God wants from you. He wants to get into your life and change the way you are from the inside out. Spiritualizing away conflict. Who likes conflict? See, that's the right answer. No one, okay. No one really likes conflict, do they? Yet conflict is absolutely everywhere. It's in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, with your friends. Conflict is everywhere. It's absolutely unavoidable. Even in our close friendships, we have conflict. But our belief, often as Christians, is we kind of suck it up and we push it down and we don't deal with it properly and we hope it'll go away. And many Christians aren't taught to deal with conflict. They're, dealt, they're taught to sweep under the rug. Let's just hope it, it goes away. But that's a very destructive way to try and process conflict. Again, think back to your families. How did your families do conflict? Now, perhaps you had families who went very quiet with each other. Perhaps you had families who went very loud with each other. Perhaps you had families who went into different rooms and didn't talk to each other, gave each other silent treatment. How did your families manage and process conflict? We're often taught to bury our emotions from a young age and not to allow conflict space. But that's just toxic. It's just toxic. Because unresolved conflict can cause a number of things to happen in your life. You might start saying one thing to someone's face and then start saying another thing behind their back. You might start to make promises with no intention of keeping them. You might blame or attack others. You project your pain onto them. They've got nothing to do with the situation or or what you're feeling. You might start to give people the silent treatment or the sarcastic treatment. And you may say yes when you mean no because you feel you can't enter into conflict with somebody. Jesus shows us through his life that healthy Christians do not avoid conflict. His life was filled with conflict. He had conflict with the Pharisees. He had conflict with the religious leaders. He had conflict with the crowds, with the disciples. He had conflict in his own family. He had conflict everywhere. And he showed us that to manage conflict well and to process it well is the right thing, not just to suck it up and hope it goes away. So we can't just spiritualize away to ensure we remain emotionally healthy. And lastly, covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Many of us have constructed all sorts of strategies so we don't have to show people that actually we're quite broken on the inside. 
Amen? Three people. Okay, good. We're planting a new church with you three, okay? Where are you? We do. We have all sorts of coping strategies to cover over our brokenness and our weakness and our failure because we live in a culture that's despised and not seen as something that, that is, is healthy or recognised. Yet Jesus, the problem with Jesus, he wants to push into your pain. And that's really inconvenient. You know, he wants to really push into your pain. Does it hurt here? Yeah, well, let's just push that bit. Ow, that really hurts. No, no actually, that really hurts. He wants to push in because he wants to heal us and transform us. And he can't do that unless we allow him deeper into our lives. Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times. And Peter said, no way. I'm your number one fan. I will not deny you. I'll go right through with you. I'll go to the cross with you. I'll die with you. What did he do? Denied him three times, just as Jesus predicted. And the third time, Jesus turned and looked him right in the eye. He got Peter banged to rights. Jesus goes to the cross, dies three days later, rises again. And the disciples out on a late-night fishing trip catch nothing, and they hear this person on the shore saying, why don't you put the nets down to the sign? And they catch a huge catch, and suddenly Peter realizes it's Jesus on the shore. He jumps off the boat, he swims to the shore, and he has this amazing fish breakfast with the resurrected Jesus. But Jesus has got some business to do with Peter. So he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, Jesus, of course I love you. I'm, I'm, I'm your number one fan. I swim off the boat towards you and fish supper. You know, and he used, Jesus used the word there, agape which is selfless love. You know, do you love me selflessly, Peter? And Peter says, you know, you know I do. And then Jesus asks him again. And he asks him again. And the third time, Jesus uses the word filio for love, which is a friendship love. Jesus, Peter, are you even my friend? Are you even my friend? Because what Jesus is doing, he's pushing down into the guilt and sense of, um, you know, uh, the fact that Peter knows he's blown it on so many levels. So Jesus starts here and goes right down and says, Peter, are you even my friend? And at this point it says in Scripture that Peter is hurt, which is quite a, li- a lame translation. It means he's deeply grieved because he realises that Jesus has got him banged to rights. Jesus has asked him three times. How many times did he deny Jesus? Three times. And so he's saying, Peter, <laughs> you, you said you'd follow me all the way through. You said you love me unconditionally. You said you'd be the one right there for me. Actually, you completely and utterly blew it and betrayed me and ran away. And I know. And I'm going to go right down to the level of where your brokenness is. And Peter says, Jesus, you know all things. And at this point, Peter is completely laid bare before Jesus. Because Jesus looks right into the heart of this man who said he would be, the, he'd be there, he'd be unflappable. And he says, Peter, you know, I can see you for who you really are. And the wonderful thing about this gospel is that Peter allows this story to be told. Peter tells us this story in this gospel, in Mark's gospel, because he wants us to know that Jesus sees into all of our hearts and does know our weakness and does know our failure and does know our brokenness. He really does know us. And even though we think we're going to do great things for God and amazing things for God, Jesus said, actually, I know you're really quite broken. And I want to go right down deep into that brokenness and I want to restore you and heal you. All Peter's human pride, his messianic dreams, his zeal was laid bare before the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus pushed into his brokenness and his weakness and his pain and said, I want to go deep, Peter, and I want to restore you because you're going to be the rock on which I build my church. But I can't do that unless I get right down deep and lay some deep foundations in you. Unless I restore you from the bottom up. 
And that's the reality, guys, that Jesus wants to get right down deep into us, right down deep into the foundation and roots of who we are so he can truly transform us. Peter was the first model disciple. He gave us a pattern that we could see ourselves in. Because like Peter, we all overpromise and underdeliver. Like Peter, we're really quite broken inside and we need that deeper touch from Jesus. But often we're too shameful to allow him to come in and do it. You know, you might think, actually, I'm quite unreliable this morning, deep down. I'm quite inconsistent this morning, deep down. But the truth is, Jesus wants to come and meet us exactly where we are and go deeper with us and transform us. And to do that, we have to become vulnerable. We have to let him in, open some of those doors that we've kept locked. You'll be rocks. You'll be living stones that Jesus will use to build his church. That's the truth. That's who you are. You're the living stones. But to grow into what God's got for us, we've got to let him in. We've got to give him more access all areas. We've got to go deeper with him and not just have a surface-level Christianity that looks right but doesn't really influence who we are. So today we just touched on some of these symptoms and over the next three weeks we're going to go deeper with this subject and uh, look at how we can allow Jesus' transforming power into every part of our lives. Let's stand together. So I've got some homework for you. What's the dominant emotion you're feeling right now? You don't have to tell me. But you know, what, what's, what's the dominant emotion that's in your life right now? Pay attention to it. Pay attention to that emotion, what you're feeling. Because God may have on a journey with you. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you you've come to give us life in all its fullness. We thank you that you know us just exactly as we are. It doesn't matter how many layers we've put on or how, whatever screens we've put up, God, you see us truly as we are. And you love us unconditionally. So, Lord, we pray you'd allow us, allow us the grace, God, to open the doors of our hearts in different ways, to go deeper. Lord, we want to grow emotionally and spiritually together over the next few weeks. So, Lord Jesus, we invite you in. Emotions may not be a topic you're very familiar with or comfortable with or you might not even think much about your emotional state. You know, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? Have you stopped to feel recently? So Lord, go deeper now we pray. In Jesus' name. We pray this week will be a significant week for all of us as we journey with you. Just the Holy Spirit resting on many of you. Let's just stay in his presence. Just allow him you know, imagine that picture of the house. He's just sitting in one room and you're going to say, Jesus, can I just invite you into some other rooms? I'm not so proud of these rooms. Can I just invite you into them? Will you just come and, and touch these different parts of me? Come, spray. Increase your presence. Come, Jesus. If you're having trouble connecting with your emotions, say, Lord, would you help me? You know, I, might, I might have put up barriers. I might have, um, there might be things in my past that are, are preventing me from connecting or feeling. Lord, would you help me? Will you help me to reconnect with my emotions? Or I've suppressed things, Lord, would you help me to connect with them?
Bless you, Jesus. Come, Spirit. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit's here. You just see him resting. Just let him rest, go deeper. Let him do the work. You don't have to stand there and think of things to think about. Just let him do the work. Just let him come and just prompt you now by the work of his Spirit. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. I want to encourage you this week just to make a little bit of space in your busy lives just to sit still in the presence of God. Don't take a Bible. Don't take a prayer list. Just sit still somewhere quiet in God's presence and just allow the Spirit of God just to be with you. Just to come and be with you. Just allow him just to presence himself. Just 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just sit still in God's presence. Just allow him to come and fill your thoughts, fill your emotions. Just give him permission, give him, make the space. So Lord, we just thank you. Thank you that you're a God who's so interested in us, so desirous to bring us together, to make us whole. Lord, we just pray for that process over the next weeks and months, God, that we grow together as a church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've come today with a, a need for prayer or you feel God's been speaking to you during this time, don't leave without getting some prayer. We'd love to pray for you, make your way down to the front. Uh, enjoy the rest of this beautiful day. And uh, if you want to come to the footy, we're here on Wednesday evening and prayer on Monday evening. And please continue to pray for those little boys in those, ca those caves that go out safely. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.